2: What are the duties required in the ninth commandment? The duties required in the ninth commandment are the preserving and promoting of truth between man and man.
0: The gospel never tells us something to do, the gospel tells us about something that's been done.
2: Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. This is Colleen Sharp, and my co host is Rachel Miller. And this week, we're joined by the host of another podcast and that's sarah beth Capusta from reconstructing your faith with sarah beth Capusta, and uh, she's also a a gal from our theology gals group and um, really great podcast i'm going to link it in the episode notes highly highly recommend that you listen to it some there's things that we have talked about that she also talks about so if you enjoy theology gals You will also enjoy her podcast. So, Sarah Beth, why don't we start with you just sharing a little bit about who you are?
1: Sure. All right. I am Sarah Beth, as you said, and I currently am a new mom to a six-month-old baby girl. And my husband and I live in Virginia. I have a background as a person who was in a spiritually abusive Church, I would actually call it a cult um, for tw- about 25 years. And I am a lawyer um, and I'm an online, right now, I currently work as an online ninth grade English teacher. So that's kind of what I'm doing now. And then, oh, yes, my podcast. <laughs> um, I started a podcast in, I guess, at the very end of 2020. And my podcast is meant to help encourage and and sort of inform people as they are as they're working through the issues that many people encounter after after coming out of a spiritually abusive environment.
0: Thank you for sharing that. Um, I think that's interesting. Like you, you went from. I'm just curious how you went from. You, know, you have your degree in law, but then now you're teaching. Uh, my my own work history is kind of an odd uh, conglomerate of interesting places and things that I've done. So, how did you get from one to the other?
1: Well, right after undergrad, so in undergrad, I majored in English. And right after that, I did teach English for a little while and then went to law school. So it's sort of going back a little bit for me. I love teaching. And that's something that I just love doing is teaching, whatever thing it is. Um, I also have taught music before. So um, education is important to me. I was a lawyer in Maryland. I'm licensed in Maryland. So we moved to Virginia. When my husband and I met in Virginia, we moved to Virginia a couple of years into our marriage, lived there for, or moved to Maryland, met, lived there for a little while and came back. And I just have not taken the bar exam here. So um, a great job opportunity was waiting for me when I arrived to, to teach or to help um, be in charge of some curriculum development. And then I moved into a teaching role um, when I realized that I wanted us to start our family and I knew this would be a better job. And better fit for me, and be able to work from home, so I transitioned to teaching from that.
0: I would like to hear a little bit about. I haven't had a chance to this to listen to your podcast yet, Um, but I would love to hear a little bit about uh, what led you to start the podcast. I know you mentioned when, but like what? What do you want people to get from your podcast? What's What's the the goal for you?
1: Yeah, I'll just start with the title. So, reconstructing your faith was was a was a minor reaction. I don't really want my podcast to be adversarial or reactionary, but it is sort of like offering a different option uh, towards those who are heavily in the deconstructing movement. I know that some people take issue with calling it a movement, but I think we can all agree that there is a lot more of it happening right now than at other times that at least I've witnessed. And so I felt that calling something reconstructing was a little bit more Constructive, for lack of a better term, for people who have come out of major abuse some spirit, and I, I'm focusing mostly on spiritual abuse. Um, and I, in my definition of spiritual abuse, in my second episode, I kind of have that under a larger umbrella. Uh, spiritual abuse is an umbrella that can have a multitude of types of abuse that can happen within that structure of a faith environment or a person who is using some type like some type of Bible verses or Christianity to abuse another person. So that can show up in financial abuse, uh, spiritual abuse, emotional, physical, sexual abuse can all kind of happen underneath that larger umbrella of someone using faith, Christianity to do that to another person. And often when people leave that type of situation, their faith is very shaken. And so I know mine was very shaken. And it can cause a type of deconstruction period to happen where you are investigating all the different parts of your faith. But I think there needs to be um, a focus on something that we're also actively doing, which is rebuilding our faith, reconstructing our faith. And so that is what I'm trying to do with this podcast is sort of be the person that I wish that I had when I was going through this. And that is, you know, I obviously am not going to be able to be personal friends with each listener but providing a space where i am i can say you know these are the hard questions that i had these hard questions are okay let's let's take them to the source let's go and learn to read the bible for ourselves and understand what scripture is actually saying versus what your abuser said so that's kind of my goal here is to help people and that's one of the things i say in my introduction to actively rebuild your faith um it's an active thing we're doing. We're not just going to passively let it crumble. I want to, you know, we're doing something. We're um, being proactive. We're being positive. Um, not just sitting in the questions and the doubt, but we're taking them somewhere and doing something with them.
2: I think that's wise because I think we've all seen when uh, we're doing something in reaction to something bad, it. It can be easy when that's our primary thing, just acting in reaction to something. You can kind of overcorrect or it it can be difficult and um, you're putting this positive thing on it. And I know there's so many, there's almost too much noise in the talk about deconstructing where people are like, well, deconstructing means this and it means that. And it's a distraction, I think, from what we're talking about. And Rachel and I've talked about this before, but could you talk about what deconstructing means? Because I see it used, you know, different ways.
1: Yeah, there's definitely different ways that people are using it. Some people mean kind of like what I just said, where, and if you listen to one of my first episodes, I talk about, I didn't really get a choice in my faith deconstructing. When, When you come out of something so just terrible, it is kind of destroyed. Um, and it was kind of leveled, but most people, and I don't know if it's most, but I would say there are some people who mean I'm looking, I'm taking and re-examining what I believe. I'm looking to see what is added to the basic elements of our faith and what is in the Bible. What does this mean? And I know I've listened to Theology Gals for a while and a lot of the, a lot of your episodes do similar things where you're, you're examining, common things that Christians say or do, and you're saying, actually, it's not really what this verse means when you look at it in context or that kind of thing. So that's a lot of what people mean when they're saying deconstruction. Um, There's a more serious and problematic side to deconstruction. And that is actually the the philosophy itself, um, deconstruction. And that is where I think progressivism and and deconstruction and all this sort of kind of collide into each other and why I feel I felt I wanted to bring my voice to the table um, because in some of this, there are people leading people who have experienced terrible things in the church and they're taking them into this road of questioning the uh, inerrancy of scripture, questioning truth, and more in a, in a way celebrating doubt and uh, lack of assurance of being able to know truth, uh, actually being able to attain uh, absolute truth and sort of just swimming in this sea of uncertainty as that is our, that's going to be where we arrive and, or questioning uh, a lot of Orthodox uh, positions on scripture and things like that. And so there are people who are deconstructing away from the faith. And that is also something that was concerning to me as I was looking at people who are just leaving altogether And something that I see um, happening within that movement is a lack of proper exegesis of scripture. They're going to take a scripture that's been misused. And then they're just going to decide to throw away scripture based on that rather than taking their time to come up with a well-reasoned exegesis of how they came to their position now, which is going to be in some cases rejecting uh, scripture or coming up with a Reading of scripture that is a lot of mental gymnastics and twisting of scripture, just in a different way than maybe someone was abused with it. So it's kind of a lot. Um, I decided I wanted to just come to the table and offer what I had, what I did and what the Lord did in my life through just coming to scripture, um, and then eventually discovering um, particular theology or particular um, type of church and you know, confessionalism and things like that, where that really helps solidify my faith even more. I wanted to to just be a voice where I didn't see someone talking about this because sometimes it's very polarizing where people say, well, you shouldn't have questions or you shouldn't doubt or you shouldn't have these hard feelings. You should want to read the Bible. You should want to go to church. And often that's hard for people. Um, but then I also was concerned because I didn't want people to leave the church and that's what I was seeing happening. So I'm here sort of in the middle. I'm not in the middle on faith. I'm not in the middle on truth of scripture, but I am a little more compassionate, um, towards people with doubts. And yeah, at the same time, I want to be rooted in truth. That's my long answer. (laughs) Um,
0: so there you go. That's a great answer. Um, you know, I was thinking as you're talking about spiritual abuse and how it ties in with all sorts of abuses. Um, Colleen can correct me if I'm wrong. i was remembering when we talked with Diane Langberg. Didn't you say something about how all abuse is spiritual abuse? Yeah, um, it is tied because it's tied to to everything about our being. It's tied to how we see God, how we view faith. Uh, so, absolutely, it makes sense that that we need to have these discussions. And you know, our, in our women's Bible study this year, uh, we're studying uh, the Psalms and we're looking at the Psalms as informing our prayers. And, you know, one of the great things about studying the Psalms is you hear doubt, you hear anger and distress and questioning and um, all of the emotions that people go through for very difficult situations in their lives. And you, you see them there as appropriate Right, as as things that God is encouraging us to say and bring to him because he's big enough to hear our problems and and to listen to them and to give us answers. Um so you know, I think I appreciate you um clarifying what you mean by deconstruction. I do feel like it's one of those words becomes like you know, a, a term that's thrown around, like used as a label, deconstruction or um, feminism, or woke, or progressive, or conservative, or any of the the things that are like, oh, well, we we can categorize you and then dismiss you because you've used this word. But I think it's a very important concept. Like you're talking about that um, reevaluating. I mean, we talked about this um, recently in in, in our, some of our other episodes that that reformation right? That we're being reformed according to Scripture. We're taking everything we believe and moving and looking at Scripture to, to reconsider if we've allowed tradition or culture or politics or whatever to inform us over Scripture. So, thank you, um, all that to say. Thank you. Um, you mentioned a little bit about what you've been through uh, in your own uh, background, your own church background, and how that uh, uh, has led you into talking about these issues. What can you share with us about what you've been through in the church?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, just there are several phases of my walk through spiritual abuse. And the first phase was the first, you know, approximately around 25 years of my life from basically birth-ish <laughs> until um, my later 20s. Where I was involved with a, a cult. It was a cult. and um, in within that structure there, I was brought up by Christian parents. Um, I did hear the gospel, I had saving faith, but I was also spiritually abused. So um, it ranged from just heavy, heavy legalism, and it, it morphed over time into complete control of every aspect of my life. At one point I was living in the pastor's home. Um, and he had complete control over everything. And basically people in the church would be living. And I know my particular family would be impoverished basically because they were giving all their money to this church. And he, the pastor would be living in a, a fancy house that that actually the men of the church built for him to live in for free, um, about a 3,000 square foot home, very nice home. And he's living there. And not only that, but uh, the men of the church are paying the mortgage for him and giving him this very opulent lifestyle while my family was struggling to have food on the table or buy books that we needed for our homeschool. And that was sort of the that the, the view of he's a pastor, so he is this top-tier celebrity, right? And his authority also was he he speaks straight from God. So if you don't listen to him and obey him completely, you are disobeying God. And this was not the parameters of his job to proclaim the word of God and to and to encourage us to walk accordingly. It was things like where I'm going to go to college. So the older I got, the more his influence came directly into my life. So as a child, I had more of the shelter of my parents. And as I got older, um, this is a story I tell often because it's just like a perfect picture of, of just the wickedness and also just sort of like it was a big moment in my life. So I was picking out which college to go to. And he wanted me to go to a college where actually it's really interesting. I wanted to go to a private Christian college It's actually a reformed school um, with lots of rules and um, very small and it's where I wanted to go. And he wanted me to go to a state college. And the reason that he wanted me to go there, he didn't say this, but I, I can tell is his daughter was there and he could keep tabs on me. While I was in school, because leaving the vicinity of the cult meant that you might start thinking for yourself, and I didn't want to go to that college. I wanted to go to the one I picked out. So we were talking one day, um, and he was talking to me about which college, and I and he said, "I want you to go to this one." And I said, "Well, actually, I want to go to this one." And he slapped me in my face. Wow! And I the next day had to apologize to him we're having an attitude. So that moment as an 18 year old, maybe I was only 17 actually at the time, just learning that he deserves to hit me, that I deserve to be hit, that my preferences don't matter. And that, I mean, hello, I'm a pastor <laughs> at a person in their church. And that's not the only you know, only thing that he did or said that was questionable. Um, but I, you know, that's, that that's kind of a picture of that. Um, I, there are some pretty extreme things that happened while I was in that cult. Um, if you were late for church, the men were held accountable, I guess, cause they would be driving their families. But if you were not on time for church, you had to do push-ups. Um, this is the first time I've told this story publicly that I'm going to tell right now. It's pretty crazy. Um, I, my roommates and I, um, all relate for a Wednesday night service and we had to be at church every time there was a service, there was a a list of reasons you could miss. And that, that was, um, sickness, but you had to be vomiting or have a fever. Those were like the, reasons you can miss. And actually that's it. (laughs) That's the list. Um, it's, I think you could be out of town, but the longer that the cult existed, we would go to extreme measures to, um, plan our vacations so that they did not miss church on Sunday. Um, and you would get up really early in the morning to drive, to make it in time for church. So that was how crazy it was. But one Wednesday night, my roommates and I, um, decided to stop for dinner on the way to church because we were hungry and we were late for Wednesday night church. And, um, we all got back to the house and I guess this story is full of weird things because we were living in the pastor's house and I guess I should back up and say, I went to, and y'all can, y'all can, as if you want to, this is a wild story. Um, I went to the college I picked out for a year. And after that first year, I was encouraged slash that meant you have to uh, actually come back to the town where I was living in the, the location of the church and go to the college there and move in with the pastor's family. And at the time, it was presented as this sort of like, you get the dorm experience and you get independence, but it's like safer and better but that's weird. It's weird and wrong. Right. It and I, along with myself, there were, let's see, I always forget. There's so many of us living in this room, room. It was a really big room. It was a frog, the finish room over the garage. Um, uh, let's see one, two, three, four. Were there really? No, no, no. Three. Okay. There were five of us. So it was me and four other people at one point. Um, essentially when you, it started to become a thing, like when you turned 18, you would move in with one of the pastor's families. That's kind of what started happening. Now, while I was there, it was me at 18, well, at 19, moving in after I had my one year away. Um, and so that's where we were living. So when we went to church late and I say roommates, I mean, the girls I was living with in his house. We came back to the house. He was angry at us. He sat us all down and he asked, what are you going to do for restitution to the pastor's families for being late for church tonight? So we all sat there and we're thinking, and we know the things to say, right? Like, oh, we can go clean the pastor's wives' houses. We're coming up with these offerings of penance for being late for prayer meeting. And none of that was good enough for him. And so he comes up with this punishment on the spot and he was like, y'all have to go to it's this, this local, um, costume shop, go rent clown costumes. I am not making this up. This is a crazy story.
0: I'm fascinated. <laughs> <Get> in- <laughs> <This> is- <laughs>
1: yes. It's wild. And I can't believe that it happened. It's like a weird dream, but it was real. You're going to rent your clown costumes. You're going to get the full makeup. And you're going to go next Wednesday night. You're going to stop at that same deli that you ate at. I can tell you it's Chilotsky's Deli on Rivers Avenue in North Charleston, (laughs) South Carolina. (laughs) Um, Is it Rivers Avenue or is it Dorchester Road? It doesn't matter. You're going to go stop there for dinner. You better be on time for church. You're going to come to church like clowns. That's what you are. We did that. And we did it so hard. We were the best looking clowns you've ever seen. And I'm telling you, I believed in my heart at the time that that was what love is, that this was that kind of like tough love. And I'm looking back on it now and it doesn't make any sense to me at all. At the time I was completely brainwashed. I grew up in this environment. I didn't know to question any of this because how would I have known that? And I show up for church and I'm talking to the little kids at church, right? Cause they're looking at me like, why are you like this? And I remember telling them, and this is, this breaks my heart actually, I remember telling them like, this is love. This is God showing me my heart that's wicked and, and, and helping me. And you know what we used to rewind and remember what this was all about. We were late for church. We were late for church and he wanted to humiliate us. I think that, um, there are people that are abusive, like pastors and other people who actually really enjoy just seeing what they can get other people to do? I think he really did. He was like, "Let's see what I can get them to do." He can get us to dress up like clowns. The, the, what? What in the world? What in the world? Right? Yeah. Abuse is always control. and yeah. yeah. It's all it's about that, and it, he got us to do that. I. That's one of my most embarrassing stories. Because I, and I think abuse survivors understand this. People will question like, well, why did you, why did you do that? Like, why didn't you say no? You know? And I'm like, um, I didn't have the capacity to say no. That was not a thing I had the ability to do at the time. And honestly, even if in my brain, I had thought I'd like to say no to this, uh, I'm trapped. You are trapped in these kinds of environments. Your entire, everything is wrapped up in the power that these people have over your life. And so there's that invisible gun to everything. And I, and you kind of know it, even though you are still kind of buying into this life that you have, because one of the things that is drawing people into these kinds of groups is that we're, we don't want to miss what God's doing. And God has given us the special calling here in this group. And so even if you have these like kind of natural questions that come up, you'll, you'll stuff them down and they'll misuse scriptures like the heart is deceitfully wicked who can know it. So you can't even know your own heart and we'll get, we're going to tell you your heart, but no one ever turns that verse around on them the way they use it on you. Um, and then in the end of me leaving and what I, what ended up happening is I went to law school and I, hey, I just,
2: I just want to ask a quick question as yeah. part of that. Were they okay with you going to law school, did they have like the extreme view of men and women?
1: So this group didn't in the same way that my next group did because I oh okay, that. okay <laughs> it' was a fun time being me um for the first three years of my <laughs> life. Um, no, but they did have extreme views on submission. Um, we were kind of intersecting with the charismatic Pentecostal stuff, and there is more lenience on women prophesying and even preaching in those kinds of groups okay. Our ours was still considered themselves to be Baptist, but, um, there was a lot of, there was a lot of like overlap. And so there wasn't as much concern of like, they wouldn't have ever let a woman become ordained, but they would have definitely had women exercising spiritual gifts in the church, which is a whole other conversation. But um, no, that group was not as much like that. But if you were a wife in that group, you were definitely double um, double oppressed because the submission thing was really strong. And what they would do um, is when a wife would maybe speak up and say, it seems like you're working my husband too much they'd shut them down real quick by saying you have a spirit of Jezebel. You are like Jezebel and you're the reason why the ministry is going to fail. And so there was that aspect to it. Um, I didn't really learn more of the more extreme oppression. I just oppression to me of women until I entered into a more patriarchal, uh, actually a reformed church that I went to, um, following this one. that I grew up in, um, So they didn't have a problem with me going to law school. The pastor really, the way I describe it is like he trained me to be like his dog on a leash and I knew how far the leash was. I knew like I could be like, I could be like selectively powerful and mean to like the things that he said I was allowed to be assertive um, towards particular political issues or particular positions. But when it came to like respecting him or not questioning him, I knew you don't question him. And so he's the one who really wanted me to go to law school. Um, And I look back and I think he needed a lawyer. He wanted me to be his lawyer that would come back and sort of help him with all of his problems. Um, And I did want to go. I had signs of making a good lawyer but um i know he's he is a he is one of the people who you know he said to me one day so when are you going to apply because i was kind of on the fence with applying and that was not a question of interest it was more of a so you're going to do that right and i told him at the time i was like i can't even afford the application and he's like so when are you going to apply which I, you know, aggressively, he would ask the question over until you gave the answer he wanted. So I was like, well, I'm going then, I guess. And so I went. Now I'm glad I went and it didn't work out the way he wanted it to. Because while I was there, my entire brain changed. So I started learning to think clearly and I started just sort of secretly Googling theology um, because they didn't really want us understanding theology. They wanted us listening to what they said, the leadership, and he was the main leader, but there were several others. And, um, I started kind of developing a relationship with the Lord away from them. And this caused a lot of problems for me. I ended up getting into a lot of trouble. They, um, were trying to find reasons to, um, kind of break me. So you kind of go through periods of like, of a, of good times and then you would get severely reproved and just beaten down and just severely abused um, and then you'd be built back up it's that sort of like cycle that a lot of people talk about and that happened to me while I was in law school um, but eventually I decided to leave and that is a really big long story of how I got there um but i eventually decided i had to leave the cult i didn't realize it was a cult at the time i just thought i needed to get out and at that point i was just a few hours away from the location of the cult but they were still controlling me Like that was still a control that they had over me and um so when i left i lost everything um when people leave it is a sh- like shunning complete shunning and you know, that meant family. It meant my family. I'm like immediate family. It meant all the friends from my whole life were gone. And the only way for me to get them back was to repent and to submit to their authority, because that was the thing. That was the thing. It was all about authority. And if you aren't submitting to their authority, then you are disobeying God. And Christian who lives in continual sin is not a Christian. So then they can just decide you're not saved. He was kind of like the pope. I mean, he would basically just be like, "You're not saved. Like they're not saved. You can't be saved if you act like this." And so assurance was a huge issue for me um, coming out of all of that because salvation was constantly in question uh, for just trivial things, but certainly for not obeying him. So if that kind that kind of paints the picture of that group and the way that it all worked out. And as you can imagine, that certainly affected my perspective on God and who God is and how God acts and all that, um, needed to be, I didn't call it deconstructed, but it needed to be dismantled and put back together. So, um, and then shortly after I joined up with another group of people I liked that they had rules. I was like, I can follow these rules. And they actually believed that women shouldn't be in law school, that women should not do anything except for stay home and have children. And that you were either under the authority of a pastor. No, that you were either, that was my church. You had to be under the authority of somebody, um, the one I grew up in, but this next place believed you were either under your father or under a husband. So they were into the stay at home daughter stuff. Um, back when Douglas Phillips hadn't fallen yet, this was, um, when vision forum was still a thing. Um, and it wasn't long after I joined into all of that, that he did. I don't know if you guys followed him at all, but, oh yes. um, he ended up like within the first year, he ended up getting exposed for what he did. And, um, anyway, so I joined up with them for a while. And I actually dropped out of law school Um, and it wasn't fully because of them, but that's a long, that's also kind of a longer part of my story as well. I didn't end up going back and finishing, but I tried, I was like, I'm going to be a good godly woman. I'm going to fit this mold. I'm going to check these boxes. And yet I couldn't really find all of the stuff they were saying in scripture and um, what ended up happening in, in that group was a little more spiritual abuse because I they actually are the ones who sort of helped me get out of the cult I was in because I became very interested in their beliefs while I was in law school. And I started realizing that my cult that I grew up in wasn't going to allow me to follow my convictions. And I was like, oh, that was one of my first clues that I needed to leave was that they wouldn't allow me to do things without permission. But this next group when I went to them because I was severely depressed because I just lost my whole entire life. Uh, they started, they started blaming me for that and calling that sin. And what I didn't realize at the time was that they were employing euphetic counseling, um, techniques on me. And, you know, this leader of that group was reading Jay Adams, like only almost exclusively. And, um, every other week I'd be at their house sitting in the basement with the husband and wife and they were counseling me, but they were using euphetic counseling and, um, and giving really, really dangerous counsel for someone in my specific situation, um, telling me to take my thoughts captive and I'd stop having my traumatic nightmares, um, because I had PTSD, but who knew, because I didn't know telling me to promise to stop researching spiritual abuse, um, You know, telling me that when I came to them and said I was borderline suicidal, that, oh, well, okay, that's not that big of a deal. And, you know, you're depressed. So that's a symptom of being self focused. You should volunteer more. This is what they're telling a girl who literally just lost the only life she'd ever known and was like a piece of nothing, just laying on the floor. (laughs) And they're adding more law to me, giving me the law, giving me the law. And so that was my first year out of the cult. And then I met my husband and they wouldn't let me date him because they believed in emotional chastity. So you couldn't have feelings before marriage. And that was the thing that got me to leave that group because I realized that they, that was sort of the the wake up call for me, that and a couple of other things. I started unraveling a lot of their theology and it wasn't making sense. I wasn't seeing it in scripture but they were telling me that you have to let them then tell you what it says, because, you know, I would read a book and the wife would say, well, you should probably be careful because I usually let my husband tell me if I can read something or not, like that kind of thing. Things that we all have talked about a lot on here. Um, and but the thing that really was strong for me is I was like, this is not biblical what you're telling me about dating. And I need to get to know this man in a different way than what you're saying me to be able to decide if I can marry him or not. And so I ended up just leaving them and being told I was unwise and imprudent and sinning and I and you know they believed that I was basically emotionally like an emotional like whore basically because I wanted to fall in love before marriage or see if I could make make sure that there was some kind of foundation of something there. And um and they ended up shunning me as well. Um, so that was my bad experiences with church. There you go. Long answer.
2: Wow. That, that, that is, that is so much. And I do want to tell our listeners, there are aspects of things that Sarah Beth is talking about that she digs into in different ways on her podcast. Um, one of the things that I've seen in the, most of the people that I know that are talking about deconstructing, it's more along what you went through, that I've seen from afar, I think one of the things that seems to be hard is there does seem to be some things in common among people that have gone through spiritual abuse, a big one being like being able to trust a church again, you know, when their main experience with the church is all hurt and control and abuse, it's very difficult. But along with that, what are other things that, and I know you've talked to other people who've been through spiritual abuse, but what are some other things that, that people struggle with after they get away from that situation? And how did you um, kind of get to a place of being able to be in a good church and trust a pastor again and those sorts of things? Yeah. Uh,
1: what are the big things in addition to that? And just first of all, just the, the distrust of church you know, I see people saying, I don't trust the institution of the church anymore. And one of the things very early on that I started doing was writing down in a journal lies and then writing down what's true. And I didn't really know that much. When I look back now, my understanding of scripture was very poor, but I did know enough. And I knew that the Bible said that God is the one who instituted the church. And so that made me know there can't that means that i the 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 way that god made the church to be isn't bad. You keep finding these bad ones, but that doesn't make the church bad. So i wrote that down because i was thinking to myself, this can't like i don't i don't know if i can do this anymore. I don't think this is right. But then i knew but the bible does say that we need to be with other believers and the bible does say not forsake that and it says that god made this. And so it has to be good. So i kind of hung on to that. The other thing um, was learning scripture. And I think that there's a natural distaste in people who have been through this kind of abuse for scripture. And I think that is one of the worst parts of it because the scripture that was used to abuse oftentimes, always, actually, that's not what it, it meant. That's not what the scripture actually meant. Um, because I, the Bible is not abusive. Um, but the way that people use it was wrong. And their, their, you know, their approach to studying scripture was incorrect. And so I think that's a huge hurdle that people are trying to overcome is coming back to, to the word of God. Um, and there are, other, there are other things people struggle with that are more general to just trauma, which would be um, post-traumatic stress um anxiety depression all of those kinds of things happen as a result of this type of abuse and then it's hard because when you come out of it you have well-meaning christians i really believe that there are people who mean really well but they say things like well maybe have you tried have you tried trusting god with your depression have you tried like they hear that you struggle with panic attacks well have you tried this have you tried that and so that happens, and then there's this, you know, a tendency to withdraw from people as well, just in general, not just not only specifically uh Christians or pastors, but just human beings after this kind of hurt. And um learning to trust again is a big is a big deal. And opening up your heart again is a really big deal to community because there are triggers everywhere. Um, and so it's tempting to completely remove yourself from any situation that could have a trigger in it, but that's not a great idea either. So yeah, that hypervigilance doesn't go away easily where you're always double checking or if something comes up and then, you know, something comes up that's triggering and it makes you want to just leave or not commit or whatever. Instead of, working through and deciding asking questions of the situation of your response. Um, but for years I would have panic attacks in church. Like that is not, I don't think I got things after I left the second group and then I started dating my husband, um, and I was going to his church and then we got married. That's where we got married. Um, I don't think that I got much out of church for those first few years it was more of an exercise of showing up and um and just not losing the ability to keep going to keep showing up because i know myself and i knew that if i stopped i would never go back and i was like i know god said this is good for some reason so i'm going to do this and and it took finding a really great church that had really Warm and loving community for me to really heal. And I found that eventually. And that is where I think just the, the rapid healing happened, where I was able to be really honest with my community. I think it's so important that you find people, and it may not be a lot of them, maybe it's just one, um, but find a person that you can be honest with that's not going to be judgmental of you or freak out with your doubts. Um, Creak out with your questions. But also that person is is someone who is grounded in truth. So they're not gonna just be like, yeah, let's just forget all this Christianity stuff, but that right. they are grounded, but they also are so grounded that they're not shaken. They know our faith cannot be shaken by our questions. God isn't offended by our questions. Um, he knows he another thing, he knows we have them. So why not ask him? Why not to bring them to the source, right? Um, I think that was something that um, made some people uncomfortable about me was I would just be honest with my struggles. I, you know, I'd say I struggle to know if God is good or not because I'm waiting for the other shoe to fall at all times because of all the bad things that have happened to me. Now I know, now I understand sovereignty and I'm like, well, he's in charge of this. So why is this happening? You know, there were those kinds of really honest and raw things that I would struggle with. And I think that made people very uncomfortable. Um, And so then I would, I would try to be vulnerable and then I would shut back down because I would feel that this wasn't a safe place for me to say these things. So thankfully the Lord kept me, um, and I, I kept studying scripture. I couldn't stop investigating. Um, but I think I would have healed more quickly if from the beginning I'd had, um, had a community where I could be like that. And, you know, my husband was very supportive, but I just, I didn't always tell him all the things. Um, and I don't even know if I could have at the time. Um, it, and when I found that group of friends that I could really be friends with, that is honestly, truly when I began to just, it, the healing was so rapid. It was almost astonishing how fast I was healing. Um, and I, you know, went to counseling a few times and that's kind of one of those ongoing things that you will probably need in your life. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a lot to recover from, but the reason I wanted to have a podcast was so that I could hopefully save somebody the amount of time it took me to get where I am now because it's been nine years. Um, so I think it could have gone a little faster. I think it could have been a little less terrifying, a little less lonely when you have people in your life that are not that are patient and not expecting you to heal more quickly than you're able to heal because sometimes healing just takes as long as it takes and most people wouldn't yell at a wound on like a physical wound that they could see they wouldn't like talk to it and tell it to get better faster right um and so that's often what it feels like when when someone who's struggling through the the issues that come up when they've gone through these things is, oh, you're still dealing with that. You're still dealing with that. And you kind of get to the point where you don't want to tell anybody because you know that they want you to say, oh, I'm doing awesome. I'm doing great. And it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. And um, yeah, for sure. There's, you know, there's different friends, like there's different levels to the question. How are you? You know, technically I'm good. There's a friend that asks you that and you can say, man, I'm struggling. The goodness of God today. I'm just really struggling with knowing if God's good today or not. Um, but then, you know, there's those levels, but yeah, it's a, it's, it's a long process, but it, it can be so much better if you have community in it, or at least you have resources in your hands that can help you. Um, and I, I do really believe that staying in church and staying in the word of God are, re- it's both very important.
0: To healing from spiritual abuse. You know, you mentioned about having a hard time reading scripture, being a common commonality for people who've been through uh, various types of spiritual abuse, and um, while I've been through quite difficult church situations over in my life, you know, I don't know how much of it I would categorize as, you know, spiritual abuse, and certainly not to the degree that you and many others have been through. Um but there are passages that are hard to read even now. Passages that are, because of the interpretations, because the, the application of them, mm-hmm. um, made it really hard to get through. Still hard to get through, and having to pause and think about that um, when I you're reading through passages and you read the passage and you're like, oh, okay, well, okay, this God's word, it's good. What's it saying here? What's it actually saying here? What's why am I feel bothered by it? Right? Like, what's mm-hmm. what's behind this? and kind of picking through and detangling uh, all the things that have been taught through it. And, you know, it's, that's something that takes time. It takes time and effort and it takes being in a place where you're comfortable enough and safe enough to address it um, where it's okay to, to talk through and think through those things. Uh, I, I love your advice about having people that are your safe people to talk to. Uh, that's, that's key. Um thinking about my my circle of friends who are my my people. Right? The, these are the people I go to and I can feel completely comfortable to tell them I'm really struggling today. Today is not a good day. And they don't judge me for that. Um, and so thank you for sharing that too with us and, and for having uh, a tender heart towards other people who are suffering and wanting to help them. And I guess one thing I wanted to ask was, what's some wisdom and encouragement that you would offer Others who are going through uh, spiritual abuse or have been through spiritual abuse in their church.
1: Yeah, I first of all, I just want to say that what happened to you. First of all, I'm sorry. What happened? Um, that's it's terrible, and the deep pain is is something that is is it's hard to describe. Um, wisdom for that would be. I would say continue to bring your questions that you have and be honest with the Lord, with your questions, go straight to just pray. If you can, I know there were times for me in the past where I, I couldn't even pray. Um, I would, this is what I would describe it as. I curled up in the arms of Jesus. I would just lay on my couch and I would cry to him. I would just cry. Um, but I want you to know first that what happened to you is not God's heart for you. So I think it'd be really important to start studying um, God's heart for you. And one place um, that is encouraging um, is Ezekiel 34, I believe. Um, My, my current pastor read that on my podcast a few weeks ago, and it talks about how God feels about, bad shepherds. And and it ends up with him saying he's going to go get his sheep himself. He's going to feed the sheep. And so that's God's heart for you. So I really believe that staying in scripture is important because that is where we learn who God really is. So don't let this wickedness take you away from that source of truth. It may be as simple as there's one verse you can read that isn't triggering. Just read that verse. Um, I recommend the Psalms. The Psalms is, I would live there. Um, Psalms 27 was my Psalm that year. And I kind of lived in that Psalm because I felt deeply like David, who's often one of the, one of he was the Psalmist that was most prominent that I would see. But um, I would feel those deep emotions, that questioning and that rawness. So you can, that is, an example of how we can pray to God. Um, it's hard. It's not hard for me to say, read the Bible. I think it can sound harsh. And so that's why I don't want it to sound like, well, read your Bible and pray. That's not what I'm saying. Use the Bible to get to know God and, and learn, um, the things that were wrong, but also know that it's okay. If there are particular topics that are too hard for you to study, that's fine. For the longest time, I was just, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. That was the only point of doctrine that I knew. And that was all. I mean, that's it. Um, it took me seven years to decide to poke into complementarianism. Seven years before I did that. So um, it's okay if you don't have it all figured out right away. It's okay if you're not sure. You don't have to have it all figured out, and that's kind of my that's kind of my advice. Would be take your time. Um, I don't. I want to be really careful because within certain veins of deconstruction that go towards progressive Christianity, there is a sort of this wallowing in our doubts. that that's a good place for us to get to the place of uncertainty, and that's not what I'm saying. I am saying you can put things on a shelf for a while and get to them as you're able. Um, My curiosity would usually get the better of me, but there was a long time that I wouldn't want to study. I didn't want to learn about spiritual authority as I had heard it preached on so many times. I didn't want to study Hebrews where it says submit to those that have rule over you. I was like, what if that's true? What if, you know, church is a dictatorship and you just got to find a good dictator. You know, those were the thoughts in my heart. And I was just like, I know that I can trust God and that's it. So I worked on that. So that's, I mean, that is like a very loose thing, but, um, but that's kind of what I did. And I really believe the Lord allowed me to keep reading his word and learning who he really is. It's so important that we learn who God really is and learn to read scripture for ourselves. I think mean, that is so important is what is our approach to scripture? So finding a good source of learning how to read the Bible. Um, How do we approach it in context and things like that?
2: That's all extremely good. And, you know, when you and I talked the other day, I know that the Lord has given opportunities where you've been able to um, talk to other people who are maybe deconstructing or trying to figure things out. And sometimes I think there's, I've seen with some people that there's kind of some time of Feeling unsettled because of the experiences that they've had, and they don't know where they're going to land, you know, once they work through everything. But we had talked about 2 Corinthians 1 4, that um, talks about how God comforts us in our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in affliction with the comfort of God because we've been comforted by God. And I know you've had. Mm-hmm. Um, some of those experiences. And, and I would imagine you didn't say this before, but it, I I can imagine that even that being able to talk with somebody else um, that maybe isn't even as far along as you are, but that there's even some healing that happens and being used by the Lord and um, some of these other people's lives.
1: Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, One of the biggest blessings of my life has been a being able to walk through um, with a couple of people who have been through similar things, going through inductive Bible study together, just going through books, the Bible, going through book studies together. And it's kind of turned into a combination of um, just helping work through the issues that arise after leaving an abusive situation. And an academic study of scripture together, always praying before we read and, and, and letting the Lord sort of, I I didn't really know what I was doing, but I like, Hey, let's study first and second Corinthians. And there, there was full of so many triggering verses. And I don't think I would have picked it if I had known, but the Lord, I feel like he ordained that so that. We would have to face some things together and doing it together was so healing. And, um, I love being able to help other people um, walk through the word of God and just learn to read it. But it was definitely helping me and it continues to help me. I still do that. And it's some of the most precious friendships that I've had that I've developed. So yes, um, that is one of my most precious things that I've gotten to do after this. And I didn't say this and I want to make it clear. Also, please, if you can find a good counselor. That is important as well. Um, I don't want to be uh, negligent and say, don't seek help for your mental health. Um, but as far as the spiritual stuff is concerned, it's important to, to, I think, to stay in church and to find out who God is through his word. But I want to also say counseling is important as well.
2: Well, Sarah, Beth, this was so wonderful. I'm going to tell all of our listeners once you finish listening to this, go on whatever app you use on uh, for listening to us. So you should be there right now if you're listening. Go look up Sarah Beth's podcast. Um, and I I will also link it in the episode notes. And I, I know you're on all the major platforms. I listen on Spotify. That's I've kind of trans transferred all my podcast listening there. I know we have so many listeners thinking through these things, so many listeners thinking through abuse, or they've been through a spiritually abusive situation or or some sort of abuse situation. And I think your podcast has, even if you're not in the place of your, you know, the deconstructing movement has nothing is not something that you've gone through specifically. One of the things I just wanted to, that I've been thinking about so much is sometimes there's pushback when people are going through this. And I keep thinking, what? when I think about loving my neighbor as myself, what does that look like for some of these people that are, are suffering? And maybe they are saying some uncomfortable things, but I'm still called to love them and finding ways to do that. So, well, thank you Sarah Best, so much for joining us. This was great.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me on. This has been really fun.